Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I was able to teach that to Thibault in him understanding that he holds space for our children to also show up, you know, in all of that emotions. Otherwise, we would have raised two boys, you know, wearing a T-shirt that says boys don't cry almost. So that's one of the best ways that we were able to be in service of our children, but also of each other. And any barrier that we had when it comes to the countries that we're from or the ways that we were raised were completely removed. When we learn another language, that it's really the language of the heart that we can communicate from, you know, and then we can, within that, we can honor his limitations as an American man. Um, I can honor my limitations, you know, as a Latina woman. And it's really beautiful. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Lola, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you actually were referred to us by your husband, Thibaut, who gave us such an amazing interview that we had to actually do it in two parts because there was just so much depth to everything he and I talked about. And when he mentioned you as a guest, I was like, yeah, I don't even have to know anything. Just, yes, here's the calendar link. Um, so before we get into your actual work, I wanted to start by asking you, where were you born and raised? And how did that end up impacting on what you've ended up doing with both your life and your so I was born in the island of Florinopolis, which you've been there mm-hmm. and uh, raised there too. I only moved to the United States after I finished college. And um, I think the way that that has impacted my life a lot was the freedom that we had uh, growing up on an island. And uh, the, the Florinopolis that you see now is not what we grew up at, you know, in, um, is this, uh, it was the safest, safest place to be and, uh, not a lot of people. And, and because of that, we were free. We're free kids. Um, our parents just, uh, never had to worry about us. We were everywhere around the island. I would have my bike, I'll go everywhere. And the, amount of nature that that place is um, also has impacted a lot of of my life and the connection with um, all all things and all beings I think nature is is a very healing very healing place mm-hmm. yeah well when you you say it's not the, the Florianopolis we see today like you contrast it for me a bit because coming from Rio into Florianopolis like, I remember feeling like, wow, I suddenly just feel so much more calm. Like everything here is like a lot slower. Uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm constantly having to watch my back. Like in Rio, like I got to the point where I would never talk with a talk on my phone when I was walking the streets because my phone got stolen the first time I was there, like last <laughs> summer. 
Mm-hmm. So I learned the lesson. I was like, don't stand on the street corner. If my sister would call me in the evening, I was like, I'll call you when I get home on the street. She's like, yeah, don't talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's definitely when you are comparing to Rio Janeiro, um, it's a, a, a different animal for sure. Um, Rio has been what it is since I remember uh, being little. And I don't think that that has ever changed. And Floripa still has, of course, this incredible vibe, like island vibe. And I think that the difference, mainly the difference is that it is not the safest place um, to be as well in Brazil anymore. Um, I would not let my kids, um, you know, get their bites the way that I did and leave in the morning, come back in the evening. Um, it was, it, it was much safer to be. And also, I think the population now, I don't even know what it is, but the island is overpacked. <laughs> um, uh, people from all over the world and, and a lot of people actually from Rio and from Sao Paulo, um, have moved to the island. So it's jammed all the traffic that you may have seen when you were there. Uh, not, none of that existed um when i was growing up uh i see the the i mean the change is drastic in the 20 years that i've been gone basically yeah well you know it's, it's kind of funny you bring you know kids being able to go ride their bikes for hours on end some part of me wonders if that's a function of the change in florianopolis or just a function of the change in times because i was telling my parents when we were kids same thing like we would just say, I'm going out and, you know, there's no way to check on us, nothing. I honestly could tell you, and I live in a really, like my parents live in an upper middle class residential neighborhood. And I was telling them, I'm like, I never see kids playing outside here. Like maybe once mm-hmm. in a blue moon on like a holiday, I'm like Thanksgiving, I'll see kids outside throwing a football. Um, so part of me wonders, like, you know, is that part of it? Uh, but then also when you have such a, a, a small population, like how does that influence the the sense of community that you develop with uh not just family but the people who you were living with hmm. uh there is the i'll start with the good side of that um there's definitely a sense of of belonging and you know you know your neighbors 10 streets to the right 10 streets to the left uh, there's, uh, there, yeah, there was everybody knows everybody, which that again, that, that has the positive of, um, of the, the way that the community, everybody almost belong to the same community kind of feeling, you know, and because it's a, a small island and the people there are, um, the education level there was never, uh, you know, top notch education. Um, there's also the 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 negative side of of being in a small island. Everybody's in everybody's business. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know everything. You know everything that's happening. Ten streets each way. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned that the the education level there wasn't really you know like super high or you know it was kind of subpar. But when I contrast what I saw in Floripa versus like the rest of Brazil, what didn't strike me was like the sense that there were really poor people there, like at least from what I saw. And again, like I'm probably being restricted to areas and only seeing it on a surface level. But when I contrast sort of the the inequality in a place like Rio and even where it gets worse in the north versus Floripa, it was pretty stark. Uh, like, so talk to me about sort of that over the course of like the last 20 years, not just in, in Floripa, but in Brazil in general. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, um, I haven't since I moved, um, out, uh, I haven't been very connected with what's actually happening in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I follow a little bit my parents who are, you know, totally, uh, a conspiracy theorist kind of <laughs> at the edge of that. And, um, so hearing from them is a little bit, it was like, I have to question everything that they're saying. Um, but I can, I can tell you, uh, that the south of Brazil is definitely, um, the least, uh, you know, the least poor, uh, part of the country. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, when you begin to go real north, um, it gets worse by a lot. Yeah. Um, I am actually not sure why. I don't know if it's connected to, uh, the, when it was time for, you know, the colon, colon, the, when they, when Brazil was colonized and who, who went where kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, uh, but definitely, uh, if you compare, uh, the south of Brazil is definitely the best. Um, place to be. Uh, there's definitely a lot of poverty. Um, the islands, there's, there's lots of areas that you don't want to go, but I don't think you'll ever get to the point where Rio is like ever. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that really struck me when I was studying there in 2008, I took a Brazilian culture class and the guy was talking about racism in Brazil. And I was like, that's such a, like, odd thing to me because of the fact that like virtually anybody could be Brazilian, right? It's like this just melting pot. Like you can't actually spot a Brazilian from a crowd. Like I could very easily pass for a Brazilian person um, because it's just such a mix of cultures. In fact, that's one of my things my friend, you know, noticed when we were there. He's like, this is in a lot of ways a melting pot like America. So a couple of things about that. One, you know, like what did your parents teach you about that as well as making your way in the world as an adult? Like, how did they influence you? Know, what you've ended up doing for better or worse? Mm-hmm. It was, to be honest, uh, never a conversation. Um, when I look back now, I realize we we grew up very simply as well, very, very simply. And we were fortunate that my mother uh, used to work uh, at a uh, school, a private school. And part of her benefits was free school for her children. So I went to a private school. It was a Catholic Catholic school. And um, I don't remember uh, seeing a black person in that school at all. And again, now that I look back, I'm like, I don't remember anybody. Uh, But it was never, there was never a conversation either way. You yeah. know, or good or bad or racism. I heard that my grandfather, you know, was racist, but I never heard him being racist. I've never, um, so it's this, this, yeah, the conversation about diversity, about humanity, about all of that. It was never brought to us, uh, that way from my parents. We yeah. just watched them being hardworking, extremely good humans. And I think that's really how me and my brother and my sister were impacted mainly to see this hardworking, incredible, funny, playful, loving adults um, ex- existing right in front of us. <laughs> yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So, you know, like, what is the sort of, if you could pick a stereotypical narrative for how Brazilian parents raise kids in terms of teaching them about how to like make their way in the world. Cause like, you know, the Indian, the joke with Indian parents is doctor, lawyer, engineer failure, right? Like that is kind of embedded into the culture. Uh, and I'm wondering like, do Brazilians have any of that sort of embedded into the way that their parents think about, you know, educating them and preparing them for adulthood? I don't, I think that has changed as well, um, from the time that we are kids and now from the time that our friends now have kids and the way that they're raising their children. Um, I don't, I don't even, I don't remember, you know, like I don't remember what I, what I saw then other than there's, you know, for my parents, like, I guess I can speak about my parents specifically that, um, we've always went to English classes since we were very little and it was we could not choose whether we wanted to go or not we hated to go to English classes <laughs> and now we're so grateful that we did and um they would let us choose music sports you know and if, whether we wanted to we liked it or not we had to finish the semester so it's their own values they they let us try everything and I think because in Brazil, here's the other thing as well. Um, the Brazil, the Brazil schools are only half day. So mm-hmm. you either go to the school in the morning or you go in the afternoon. So usually the other period, uh, I know that most Brazilian parents are driving their kids around for classes, swimming classes, things that maybe you would do in school. You do mm-hmm. it separately, English classes, you know, ballet classes or whatever. Um, yeah, but I, and also because uh, my mom has six sisters. Wow. And and I and I'm and I I have a feeling, Srini, that like Latin's family, they just go with the flow. You know, I, I see the way that Tebow, for example, has uh, the plan, the future of our of our kids fully planned until the day they die. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been, I've been teaching him how to release that, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that the culture here is very different because there's this pressure. There's this pressure with the sports. There's pressures with college in, and in Brazil, there, there's none of that. Yeah. Um, I've never, never felt pressed and never seen any of the people that I love and my friends or any, anything being pressed to be someone or, you know, anything like that. Let's come back to that. Cause I definitely want to ask you about both, you know, marrying a guy outside of your culture as well as raising kids with somebody is, um, but talking about your own experience of first coming to the U S like what aspects of it, you know, led to culture shock? Like, what did you find crazy? 
What did you find funny? Because like, I remember there's certain (laughs) things like I I remember thinking, and here's a a really silly example, just to, you know this because you're from Brazil. But I remember thinking, I was like, this is brilliant. So when you go to a bar or nightclub in Brazil, you don't open a tab. You literally just get handed a consumption card and they close the tab at the end of the night. I was like, why doesn't they do this in the United States? Like this would drive so much more revenue and people would drink a lot more. I was like, this is a stupidly simple business idea. I don't know why nobody does it, but then that's like one of those random things I noticed. And of course, like there are a lot of, you know, small nuances that we caught, but like, I remember uh, in pretty much in all of Latin America, like I remember in Chile, every time we'd order a meal right after you get done, it's like, wow, this is the South American upsell. It's like, I'll go mas. I'm like, no, I told you everything I wanted already. Uh-huh. But talk to me about the aspects of coming here that you found funny, odd, shocking, all that when you first came. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I moved when I moved to America, I moved to Florida. I was in Naples, Florida. Um, and uh, we had a Brazilian community there, which helped. Um, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, there was, hmm. I don't think there's anything that was very shocking to me when I came. I think in general, there's a, 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 a stiffness. Um, you know, I found, I, f- I found Americans just very stiff. <laughs> and, uh, now that I'm a, you know, a movement, uh, a practitioner, I can use mm-hmm. the body to speak about that because there is no separation of the mind, the mind and the body and the emotions, you know? So I, I realized that I actually think that one of the reasons why I was sent to this country as a very supple Brazilian woman was to teach um, other humans, American humans, how to find that that suppleness, that flow, that movement in their bodies and as a consequence in their hearts and in their minds. Um, so I, I think that that was like the biggest, the biggest shock that I had was, yeah. was in relationship to that. Yeah. I know what you mean, having spent so much time in, in Brazil. And the other thing I, I noticed was like Americans seem like they're in a damn hurry for everything. Like when you sit down at a restaurant in Brazil, it's like a three and a half hour ordeal. And not because like, you know, it takes forever to get served. It's just people are like, oh, we're sitting down for dinner. Like this is what we do. And you stay for a long time. Okay. Uh, whereas I noticed that that is not something that that happens here as much. It's like, okay, let's get you in an attitude. Even my mom, like we're sitting at our own dinner table in our house and she's like, hurry up and finish eating. I was like, why? I'm like, <laughs> where do you have to go and what do you have to do that you need me to finish eating? Like, what is the point of this? Like, we're having dinner together. Like, why are we in a rush? The whole point of dinner is also to talk to each other. If all we need to do is eat, I might as well just order Soylent and not show up for dinner. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> let's talk about one other aspect of this, and we'll get into your work, uh, you know, as you know, we'd said at the beginning of our conversation, you were married to Thibaut, one of our former guests. And so this is something I'm always curious about when you have your parents from two different cultures, uh, you know, you being Brazilian, Thibaut being American, like, how are you preserving and integrating aspects of both your heritage and your culture into the way that you raise your children? Because like, the one thing I always think about for me, and even, you know, my sister, even though she's married to an Indian guy, like we're, we're both, they're both from different parts of India and speak different languages. So I always think about like, what's the first thing to go here? And for me, I'm like, okay, if I don't marry an Indian girl, the first thing to go without question will be language. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. Like, how does that play out in the lives of your kids? Yeah. So, so language is definitely one of them. They're both fluent, both fluent in Portuguese. Um, the, the yearly trip to Brazil is something that is really part of our, commitment um and during the pandemic we actually ended up moving to brazil for almost two years uh we it was not part of the plan but we we had planned to go spend a year in brazil the year of 2020 and then we arrived in brazil in february and then in march the world shut down and as you may imagine you know floripa was the perfect place to be when the whole world is shut down yeah um, sounds like we, it 
Yeah, we were outside, outdoors, uh, doing so many fun stuff. I wanted the kids to, to experience, uh, grand, like great grandparents, you know, like my, my great, my, wait, my grandmother, my grandfather is still alive. Um, you know, so, uh, so I wanted them to experience that, that, uh, the way that Brazilians do life, that community that we meet at least once a week for everybody to have coffee together or, um, we sit around the couch and we can just stay there a whole afternoon. And for them, all of that is very, very new. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not the style here. So the, the trips to Brazil is the most important thing. The language is important. Um, you know, Thibault's mom is French. So, uh, the kids joke that they're, uh, you know, uh, half Brazilian, um, one quarter American, one quarter French. Uh, so we, <laughs> so we still have that to, to bring in. We knew from the beginning that the, the minute that we found out we were pregnant, that we were going to raise children for the world. Mm-hmm. And that has been, uh, you know, the case since the beginning. Um, another way that I'm thinking right now is that in in Brazil, we have a little bit of like the village raises the the, the children, mm-hmm. which now now that's coming back to me when you said about a shock, you know yeah. that was a shock in America. Um, I was struggling being an, a new mom, and here nobody just talks about it. Everybody's in their own home with their own with their kids you know, uh, uh, doing their best, but there, um, I, there was no village mm-hmm. and, and we did the best that we could with the amount of friends that we have, or even Thibault's parents and his sisters, mm-hmm. or even school, the teachers or their school friends, parents, you know, we, 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 we let the kids being raised a little bit more by the village, um, than, you know, us claiming ownership or claiming that we knew what we're doing because we definitely uh, did not and still don't. <laughs> yeah, rumor, rumor has it that, that like being a parent is just this gigantic shit show and you're just mm-hmm. making it all up as you go along and basically you know, like yeah. just making sure like I realized this with my nephew, like, you know, he's 10 months and he's mobile now and suddenly he's standing and he's getting into everything. And it's like, I got to let you have the freedom to explore. And at the same time, I'm like doing everything I can to prevent him from hurting himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I feel like is just an on like that seems like parenting in a nutshell for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. And Thibault, I don't think that Thibault is a an an I don't want to say I mean I want to want to say average father, but I also don't want to put anybody else in that box, you know. So I'm not comparing him to anybody specifically, but yeah, he wanted so much to be a dad that. um you know, when the kids were born, he was just doing what he was really, really good at. Um, I struggle more with, with, with being a parent than he did. So my, almost my job was just to make sure that they had food, that they had clothes, that they had milk and mm-hmm. love. And, you know, I was doing like the, the, the day to day basics, but the, he was the fun for sure. I was not fun. I was not yeah. fun at all. Well, that's what my sister says. My nephew adores me because she's like, he knows. He's like, you're nothing but fun. He was like, mm-hmm. you you don't change diapers. You don't give him milk. You're just here to hang out and talk to him and pay attention. That's why he's like, you want to, you're, you're one of his favorite people. But you know, you, earlier in our conversation, you alluded to the notion of Tebow having you know, your kids' whole lives planned out and all of that. Like, well, talk to me about like not just uh, that aspect um, as far as a contrast between the two of you and how you think about that going forward, but also bringing you know two families together from different cultures and you know how that has actually influenced the work that you do. Mm-hmm. There's this this beautiful way that Tibo and I knew how to dance with each other. It took us it took us a while. Um, I'm actually going going back a little bit if it's okay with you yeah, to talk about our relationship because. Um, when we met, I was like a super warm in the moment, crazy Latina. You know, if I was mad, he'd be like, he knows I'm mad, but if I'm happy right away, he knows I'm happy. <laughs> and, and he did not know what to do with somebody that could clearly express the, the truth of each moment. So freely the way that I could. And 
And what ended up happening in our relationship is that every time that I would express something that he didn't like, he would be like, don't talk to me like that. You know, like, don't use your voice like that. And it took us a long time to realize how little by little that that part of me that was very um true to the moment started to shut down and becoming just a little bit more um uh singular with my emotions. I, I almost felt like at some point I just needed to show up in the same exact way every time. And um and it took us, you know, on our 10th anniversary, we reached a point uh, where the kids were already a little bit bigger. And I looked at him, I'm like, is this what the next 10 years are going to be like? Because if it is, I'm out, you know, wow. and he didn't see that coming. And he's like, you know, what's what's going on? And it's like, well, I'm, I just feel cold and disconnected. And, you know, I feel like we're just high fiving each other at the door and. Um, so we start diving to this beautiful work of intimacy, sacred intimacy together, you know, and really understanding how the greatest gift that I could bring to him as his wife and as his oracle was my ability of expressing, you know, like, again, like Latinas are just, we're so good at that. And that part of me just went numb. and. So we spend after that, you know, that time, it was, I think this was like six years ago. We've basically been bringing together healing that part of our relationship. And, um, and for me to allowing that version of myself to exist again and for him to adore that, you know, in, in hold space and be this like container, um, in which I can show up fully. So our relationship from that moment changed completely. Um, that's when I feel like almost he went from being uh, just an, another white American dude um, to this masterful, you know, king and lover and all of that. So this work that we've done together now has influenced the way that we also relate in, in parent our children. Um, you know, children are, we, this, this work that we do, it's called the, you know, the polarity work. It's like alpha and omega. So I'm omega, which means I'm allowing, you know, my, all the emotions to arise. He's alpha, which holds the container. There's more to it, but I'm summarizing it. And kids yeah. are, when no, they're fully omega. They're like showing the truth of the moment, each moment. And it was, it was my ability to, to teach, you know, it was because I was able to teach that to Thibault and him understanding that he holds space for our children to also show up, you know, in all of that emotions. Otherwise we would have raised two boys you know, wearing a t-shirt that says boys don't cry almost. Um, so that's one of the, the, the best ways that, um, that we were able to be in service of, of our children, but also of each other. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the, any barrier that we had when it comes to, you know, uh, the countries that we're from or the ways that we were raised were completely removed when we learn another language that it's really the language of the heart that we can communicate from, you know, and then we can, within that, we can honor his limitations as an American man. Um, I can honor my limitations, you know, as a Latina woman. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So talk to me about how this all connects to the work that you do now uh, as it relates to movement and body and mind, because I, I feel like that this seems like it probably has had an instrumental role in all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's almost, I don't know which, which, which lead, which guided what, um, I have been, uh, in this world of integrative medicine, almost since we were born, my mom was always ahead of the game. And, uh, our, our physician was a, a homeopath and an acupuncturist. And at that time, you know, 40, 40 years ago, that was not something that, that was just very, um, you know, that everybody knew about it. And, and my mom always has been this incredible, I want to say sh shaman. She's a shaman. She's a medicine woman. And it was definitely her heart that continued to lead the, the, our, our whole family as a, as a, as a family, even when my parents divorced. You know, she told us, she said, don't you, don't you worry, guys. If one day the five of us are going to be together again, it's just going to be different. And sure enough, about two years after they divorced and they didn't speak, um, my parents became really good friends. And now, you know, they hang out together a lot. We travel together as a family, but they're not married anymore. Um, but they're best friends. So it was her guidance of this this way of being that basically led me into going to college and studying integrative medicine, um, finishing that, uh, going to acupuncture school and then moving here to the United States. Um, my in-laws gifted me my master's degree in acupuncture. Uh, and in that process, uh, meeting this, this community that teaches movement and that dances. And it was really when I reconnected to the Brazilian in me when I started to dance again, because even that part of me had kind of died a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's my work today is a, is a culmination of all of that, basically 
I, I am a true, uh, believer that the, the body is, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the body, of the human body. And it's amazing how many people just live their lives from the neck up and how mm-hmm. disconnected they are from the sensations. And it's really this vessel is what's, it's our, the biggest GPS that it's literally telling, you know, it's the only thing of us that it's in the present moment. I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm hot, you know? Mm-hmm. And my work with this combination of movement and embodiment and integrative medicine has been te- teaching people how to embody this body and living, um, and living a life where, hmm, let's see how to say this in the best way. I, I use a lot the words together in, in embodied freedom is to find this, this freedom of, of existing as an embodied person, um, you know, through, through this, through this body. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's really, I don't know if you want to ask anything in relationship yeah, to that, no, but yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, when you're thinking about this idea, talking about this idea of, you know, sort of suppressing emotions, I, I realized like that actually to me is something that had become pretty normalized in both, you know, an Indian family where we're just not emotionally expressive. Uh, and like, it, it's almost like we, we hold back. Like we we're like, it's funny to even watch my parents being physically affectionate with each other is so rare that the, first time I saw it, I cringed. I was like, oh, like, I don't want to see that. Um, and I, you know, I've said this before, like I had an Indian friend when I was in eighth grade and he was like convinced that the only two times in his life his parents had had sex were when his brother and him were conceived. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, at the time, like we kind of all thought that about our parents. It's like nobody wants to ever think about their parents having sex. It's just kind of like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you don't, you know, but like all, all joking aside, um, like, First, let's talk about how people get to that point where they are living from the neck up. Because I think that to your point, like even as I, I watch my you know 10-month-old nephew, I think the one thing I realized with him was how present he is mm-hmm. and how present he forces me to be. And I realized like the thing he wants more than anything is attention. He doesn't want you to get in his way. Like I realized that too. He's like, he'll basically, you can kind of tell in his mind, he's like, look, he was like, I want you to let me do whatever the hell I want and, you know, explore everything and, you know, open every cabinet. He's like, but I want you to stay here and mm-hmm. keep me company. Like, he really doesn't like it when people leave. And so how do we get to that point in the first place? And then talk to me about finding our way back to this point where we actually are living this embodied experience and how we can use it in our lives to, to improve that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the, you know, each person's childhood really is what sets the tone for what their adulthood is going to be like. Um, you know, I was fortunate to watch my parents being affectionate and hugging and loving like every day, you know, we watched them dancing in the living room. And I think that that absolutely affected the, the, the way that we grew up and, and, and many, many kids don't, don't, didn't have that. Even if there was no like trauma, if your parents, you know, even like using you as an example, if that's okay, yeah. if, if, you know, if your parents were hugging you and kissing you all the time and saying, I love you, you know, it's, it's like learning a language that you mm-hmm. don't know. And then, and then we enter the, 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 the world of, uh, school and I think also like work and sports, whatever it is that, Everything that we need to do is, is to become better, um, than somebody else at something. There's a lot of competition. I feel like the world outside can stimulate us so much to, to the point that we have no time and we don't even remember that we need to look at the world inside and, and check in to see how am I, how am I with this? Um, you know, the situation or anything. Um, so I, I think there's just too much distraction and also, um, 
let me, um, sometimes I just need to take a breath and see what wants to come through with that. Um, Yeah, I believe that the childhood and the speed in which the world is running right now is what gets us from disconnecting completely from our bodies. Um, I don't think, and actually maybe a little bit more right now, but I don't think schools are teaching us um, the real education of emotional education. Um, you know, how do you feel in expressing how you feel? Um, and then I think that that's to me is how, is how we, we get to that disconnection. Um, a lot of emotions end up coming from that shame, fear. Uh, you know, when I'm, when I am vulnerable, people don't want to be vulnerable with each other because it's super scary. You know, what if you don't like that version of me? Am I going to lose you? Um, so all of that gets us to start wearing masks. Uh, you know, for you, I am this way. And for you, for that person, I am that way. And putting this armors, um, layers and layers and layers. And we do that for years. And then there's come, I think that there comes a moment in time where that begins to, 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 to catch up with us. Um, the, there's this wisdom of the body that is always calling us back to it. I think that disease is really a lack of ease. In some ways that we're being invited to revisit and look at it. So the way that I think we get back to it, um, the way I can tell you the way that I do it and the way that I teach the people that come to me is, um, through, um, any practices that uses the body as a vessel. For some people is dance, for some people is martial arts, for some people is breath work, uh, anything that we can do to be very physical in using the body to express, um, the truth. You know, you may gonna hear me saying that a lot because it's really what the body does is expressing the truth of each moment. And we lost our ability of expressing our truth. And every time that we're able to, through some movement, through some embodiment, through breath work, to release, release some tears, release a shout of anger, um, you know, release something that we're feeling. Um, we remove one of those layers, one of those masks that we put up at some point in life. And then there's the sensation of a little bit more of, of, of freedom. And then the, I think that we as humans spend, will spend uh, our entire lives, um, liberating, um, one, one mask at a time until we, you know, and continue to connect to the most, the, the tr most truthful version of ourselves, like our, our true essence, basically. And, uh, there's this, this sentence is this quote that I, that I, that I love that it says, you know, the, the, the way that we reach enlightenment is through embodiment. Um, and I, and I'm a true believer on that. Um, there's a lot of the spiritual practice that feels like we keep wanting to reach this enlightenment and spirits and spirituality. And it just brings us to this ethereal place that we don't know what the hell is that. And, and I think we were gifted this one opportunity to be in this body and experience life on earth. And it's really what makes us, what separates us from spirit is that we were given the opportunity of seeing and tasting and smelling and listening and, you know, to really master the, the, the basics with the five senses. And we got so fancy in this world that, uh, we, we, we forgot the basics, which is a little bit what you're saying about the, you know, eat fast. We forgot how to sit around the table with people that we love and savor each bite of that food. <laughs> so I'll, I'll pause here for a moment to see if there's anything that you want to, you know, yeah. plug in. Yeah. You know, so as you're saying that, uh, a couple of things came to mind. Like my, 
I always joked, you mentioned that part about your parents dancing. I always think, man, if only the Portuguese had colonized India instead of the damn British, then we wouldn't have been a bunch of prudes. You know, like, that's like my theory on this is like, you imagine the Portuguese military generals, like, you know what? Let the British go where it's hot and the weather, you know, or it's cold and, you know, we'll just go where the women are hot and the weather is great. Like, I, that, that, my, my friend joked that that was effectively Portuguese's colonization strategy. And if you look at where they went in the world, it kind of, like, makes sense. Uh, all joking aside, uh, it got me thinking, as you were saying that, about surfing and, and why surfing had such a profound impact on me. And, like, I, and I've said this before, like, I don't think I ever really knew what the meaning of presence was until mm-hmm. I caught a wave. Like, that was the first time I was like, wait, this is, like, the one and only time I'm like, I'm not thinking about the past, I'm not thinking about the future. Like, I am truly in the now. And it just explains so much about why you feel the way you do when you get out of the water because it's so much about being in touch with your body. And like for somebody like me who has spent a lot of time in academic circles, like I'm in my head a lot of the time. So I think that Mm -hmm. that was probably what it is. So when people come to you, like what is going on in the life of the average person who comes to you to do this work? Like why does somebody come to you? And, you know, in addition to the problems you help them solve, like what else do they discover in the process? So usually, um, I think the reason why people come work with me is, is because they first, they acknowledge the amount of, uh, of work that I continue to do to continue to find the most liberated version of myself. Um, and I think in some ways they, they desire that for themselves. Um, you know, I definitely don't don't feel like I I I, I help the resolution of any problem, mainly because um, I don't see anything as a problem. Um, I have spent a lot of time studying quantum physics and just really understanding like the laws of the universe and this idea of action and reaction of you know how uh, the perfection of the ups and the downs and the contractions and the expansions. So I, what I, but, but that's how we experience life on earth through duality, right? Hot, cold. I like the summer because I've experienced the winter time, kind of what you're saying. I like the hot girls because I've experienced the cold girls. (laughs) It's like all of that. And, um, so when I, when I meet, when I meet the people that come through, through my doors, I, I hold the space to everything that, that it can be. It's almost like, um, moving a layer above the duality, the right or wrong, the broken or the needs to be fixed or anything like that. And it's already meeting people in their perfection. Um, I truly like honestly believe, uh, that, that every, that everybody in the perfection of everybody. You know, do I, am I blind to say that people don't have work to do? No, everybody has a lot of work to do, but the potential and the possibilities, um, I've always held that for myself in life. And it's a genuine thing that I can hold for anybody that walks through my door. And I think one of my big, biggest lessons have been sometimes, uh, sometimes they cannot see it yet. And I, I almost sometimes may have the tendency of trying to rush the process and be like, what do you mean you can't see it? You know, so I, um, I have a, one of my mentors always says that we, uh, we meet people where they are, not where we want them to be, um, which has been a, a very beautiful practice. Um, so people come to find the most embodied, liberated version of themselves. And that usually looks like, um, looking at everything that it's in the way, you know? So it's, it's more, uh, an undoing of things than a doing of things, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we already are, if we already are this perfection and what we're doing is operating in the world with the masks that we use, we have to look at these masks and begin to peel them off. Um, and I do that with, uh, movement classes that I teach. I have a retreat house up here in, in a sm- very small retreat house up north in Baltimore County where I lead private sessions, um, of breath work, shamanic work. I've, I've trained under 
incredible people from all over the world now. Um, I hold some medicines like hape and kumbo and, um, and I meet, you know, I, I, I open our doors and I, I feel for the moment and whatever they need in the moment, uh, it's, it's what comes through. So talk to me about what happens in their lives after like going through this work. Because like the funny thing is the Indian in me is always like the person who's like, I want, you know, I mean, granted, you know, like I trust your judgment because you've been educated. You've actually studied this. And I'm always like, there's this like balance between one of our friends is like, yeah, just because you can't explain it with science, it doesn't mean it's not legitimate. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. But I come from a family full of academics. So talk to me about what happens after in their lives. Like how do their lives change for the better? Yeah. Hello. I totally hear what you're saying. It's it's the majority of the people that are like that. It, this well, is definitely... for good reason, because there's like a lot of like, honestly, new age bullshit that is not validated with anything. I mean, you have have real credibility in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. whereas there's a lot of people who are just kind of like, you know, claiming to be credible when they're not and using a lot of anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I wanted to say is that this, this work of the soul, uh, never ends. I feel like our souls are very curious and it's kind of like comparing to surf. You know, if you, if you realize that you're killing it, the one meter waves, you're going to be like, I'm going to go for the two meter now. I want to see what that feels like, you know? And, and I think that that summarizes basically the way that our soul works. Um, we expand a little bit and then we're like, Oh, what else? What else? And so, so it's not one session, even if they do get, you know, major breakthrough, like a big release or a big download, you know, something that they can, the, the hardest part of the soul work actually is the integration. You know, I don't, uh, I know I've done enough plant medicine myself and have, you know, met many people who's done it. And plant medicine is nothing if you don't know how to integrate everything that you received in the journey um, yeah. in a day-to-day life, you know, because it's like there's that one, you know, there's a funny quote that says, you want to see how spiritualized you got, just go spend a weekend with your parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like everything that you learn just goes down the drain because the worst, you know, comes out. Yeah. And so... So usually people after a session or after a retreat, um, there's something very profound that has been revealed to them. And then it's up to them to decide what to do with that. You know, we, there's something that free will is a real thing. And we, we have the potential of the soul. We have the potential of humans that it's unlimited. Um, and we all have the free will to say, do I want to continue to go down this road or not? You know, and, and also s- sometimes people don't even come for an outcome specifically of like, oh, I need to come because I have this podcast that I'm doing tomorrow <laughs> or whatever. They yeah. come because people, people really have this deep desire of being heard and being seen and honest listening we we don't see each other anymore we don't listen to each other anymore your your job is beautiful because it's actually you made a choice of sitting for hours with people to just really listening um outside of that people just people talk on top of each other and you know it's nobody listens so those containers uh that i like to create and sometimes that all that people want is a place where they can put their armors down. Um, and that itself is, you know, is, is the gift. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing up the, this idea of integration, uh, particularly plant medicine journeys. Cause yeah, otherwise it's just like recreational drug use. There's not a whole hell of a lot of difference. Cause like I was thinking back to my own experiences with uh, a handful of psychedelics, like only mushrooms. I, yeah, like the first experience I had with it was with two friends on New Year's Eve. And that was like really, really profound. But I think it's largely because we were super intentional about how we, we did it. And mm-hmm. I noticed the last two, three times after that, like after the third time, I was like, you know what? I'm done. Like this isn't doing it for me. 
Um, I think we got like got what it was supposed to do from the first one, and then I realized like this is just us like screwing around after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very important. I uh, I have seen you know I know plenty of people who are just uh, you know journey after journey after journey, and yeah. I, I mean there's I, I have no judgment about it because each again that's their journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. The journeys are their journey. Um, you know, I have a friend who I really love. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's actually from India and we were catching up the other day and he said, you know, Lola, I just realized how, um, uh, I went a whole few years just trying to find his answers through, through lots of journeys. And I just realized that I didn't integrate anything. So I'm taking a break and I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to catch up with <laughs> the amount of information that I received to integrate. So I, I do believe that at some point it clicks to, to everybody. It's just, you know, I just, it's hard to tell when for some people like him it was pretty fast, a couple years, mm-hmm. you know, some people may are going to get to their nineties to be like, Oh shit. <laughs> I didn't do that. So it's very individual. It's correct me like again. This is only based on just you know like stories I've heard from people like who have told me about their experiences with certain plant medicine, particularly ayahuasca. Like I don't remember who it was a friend of mine once had. He's like he's like basically is like it's like going through thirteen years of therapy in one night. He's like it's hell, but then you come out of it and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate or like is that just you know one person's experience? Yeah, I've 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 seen. I've seen a lot of that and I experience a lot of, uh, a lot of that for myself. I think that what I, one of the things that I do love, I'll tell you about the, you know, some, some journeys and some medicines is that they bypass the, the cognitive mind, you know, so for you, for example, that it's sitting in your front cortex a lot of the time, you know, having to understand everything. Um, and you know, th- those experiences can be so powerful because it takes the, I need to understand everything. And it does the, the work by itself. Um, I went to this ayahuasca retreat one time, a long time ago in Costa Rica. And they said that one of the things that can happen, it's called nada, you know, which means nothing. And, and when they say the nada means when you fall asleep, they call the nada. And where you think that, that, that night it didn't work for you because you fell asleep and you felt nothing. Um, and they were explaining how sometimes the amount of work that the medicine has to do is so profound that if you're actually awake, you wouldn't be able to take it. So it puts you to sleep and does the work without the mind have, having to understand. Um, so I do think that it's life changing. I've witnessed people, you know, coming out of alcoholism, depression, but it's really, uh, it's really after that, you know, I, I, I've been working with this one person right now who I adore and completely free from, free from alcohol. And, and, um, you know, sometimes he, he needs to, to remember that version of ourselves that we meet when we are in plant medicine, because we see all that it's possible. We actually see ourselves as the universe, as source or as God, whatever. And so the medicine, I feel like, show us the full potential. And then we come back to this body and we'll be like, all right, there's a different truth that I didn't know. And now I know, you know, and now how do I, how do I sustain? What is it that I need to do? Uh, so I think it's, it's incredible, incredible, incredibly powerful. So two final questions about this. Like, you know, given the benefits of this, I mean, we had to add, Dylan from Mindbloom here uh, recently, you know, talking about ketamine-induced therapy and like sort of the, the therapeutic effects of a lot of this plant medicine. Like, what do you think, is, like, I'm pretty convinced at this point, like the biggest resistance here is big pharma, um, mm-hmm. even based on having read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, where he actually said, he's like, you know, why, you know, would you have a drug like, you know, psychedelic mushrooms or psilocybin where we can cure PTSD in three sessions when a pharma company can basically make somebody take a drug they have to take for the rest of their lives, he's like, they're probably the biggest sort of opponents of all of this going mainstream. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And, and I think that we're in such incredible times right now where, um, they're losing a little bit of that power, you know, and I, the perfection in which things unfold. I, I also love that because maybe it's in the pace that we as humans, as a collective can handle, you know, it's like, okay. We're allowed to smoke pot now, <laughs> you know, so so I, I, th- I think that we're going to get there. And and I do think that it is the big pharma that gets in the way. But I also oh, yeah. believe but I also believe that there's a there's a force behind behind it all guiding. Guiding the speed in which things need to happen. You know, you know, I don't know if you know what what you mean when I say that, but I yeah. truly, yeah, I really do. Beautiful. Well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable yes. Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think you cannot make mistakes when you are following the path of the heart, of your own heart. Yeah, the the wisdom that this you know, that the energy of the heart speaks to us all the time. And when we're listening to that, um, I think it's what makes what we do. You can't, you can go wrong. You can go wrong. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work and everything else here? Yeah, I am uh, on social media. You know, Lola Mannequin on Instagram, on Facebook. I do have the website, lolamannequin.com, which people can still reach me through that. It's going through a major, um, you know, uh, uh, reform. Um, but yeah, those are usually the main, the main ways. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four 
K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.